Just a note before we start. Our show talks about touchy subjects that may be difficult for some of our listeners. Take care of yourself. If you feel you need to seek help, see the links at the end of our show notes for resources. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to Touchy Subjects Podcast, the podcast that aims to break the silence that tends to come with conversations around domestic and sexual violence. I'm Sean. And I'm Amanda. And today we're talking about victimization and survivorship with our guest, Noelle, who is a survivor. So thanks for joining us today, Noelle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited. And we are very excited to have you with us as well, Noelle. Um, So would you really quickly just want to introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, sure. So my name is Noelle. I am 22 and I'm a student. I'm currently studying psychology, which is super interesting. Um, And besides that, I love painting and I love traveling and everything that comes with it. Meeting new people, going on an adventure. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you. And really, just because I am a curious person, where is the best place you have ever traveled? Oh, that's a really hard question. Um, I love the Dominican Republic and I actually um, spent two months on Oahu this year, which is uh, one of the Hawaiian islands. And I was um, able to do an amazing internship there. So that probably is one of my favorite places as well. So now I have to ask, when were you in Oahu? Because I had also spent some time there this year. Oh, wow. it was February and March, and then oh. the first week of April as well, I think. Ah, missed you. We were there in January. Right. <laughs> but you were, you were correct. It is very beautiful, and it was very nice to get out of the cold and snow that we had here. So. Yeah, definitely. So one of the reasons I also wanted to ask about travel is because travel was part of your story, isn't it, Noel? Uh, it was. Um, so... It really all started when I was um, abroad. I finished high school and then decided to move abroad. Um, I lived in Australia for seven months and I was working as an au pair back then. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically like a nanny job. So I had a host family and I lived with them and took care of their kids, even though it was it was never like a job because they were like my family. So it was like taking care of siblings. So how did you get into like wanting to be an au pair and doing that work? Um, So I just love kids. And before I went abroad, I already had worked in a kindergarten once. And then also I have um, three younger siblings and I have a lot of younger cousins. (laughs) So I was really used to just, um, yeah, spend a lot of time around kids. Awesome. Yeah, no, and something that I spend a lot of time during the summer is working with little kids. So I definitely agree with you that working with kids can be great. It can definitely be challenging, but it they say some of the funniest things. So it makes it worth it. So no, really jump, really kind of like jumping in then to your story. Um, please feel free to share whatever you want to share with our audience as little or as much. Um, but I know that one of the things that you wanted to come onto our podcast and do was share your story to kind of help others. 
Um, so would you be willing to share some of that with our audience? Yeah, sure. Um, so as you said, I think it would take way too long to um, go into detail, but I can definitely um, tell you some of the things that happened. So um, it was at the end of my stay, I think I had a month left, I decided to go out. And it was very common for um, all pairs to come together and then hang out at the beach and afterwards go to a club. So we did that on a Saturday night and it was me and two other girls. And uh, we met at my place because I had like a separate granny flat. Um, and we had a couple of drinks, got ready and then took an Uber to the club. And I had been at this specific club before. Um, so that night um, I lost them. I don't know where, maybe on the dance floor. So um, I was trying to find my friends and um, just kept walking around the club. And they had two floors. So at one point I ended up um, walking upstairs and I was waiting for a guy um, to come back because I just had a conversation with him and um, he seemed like a nice person. So I thought, okay, I might as well um, just talk to him for a while and then maybe I'll see my friends walk by. Um, and from that point on, I only have like specific memories, but it's really all very blurry and it's there are parts that are missing. Um, so the next thing I remember is meeting um, a man or a guy, I think he was in his mid twenties, um, who was sitting on one of the sofas and I ended up talking to him. And then the next thing I remember is um, driving home with him in an Uber and I have no recognition of why I did that or why I joined him because at the time I also was uh, dating someone who I really liked um, and it was a very uncommon thing for me to do. Um, so we then got to his apartment and at that point I already felt a bit uncomfortable because he had um, started to touch me while we were in the Uber, uh, which I thought was weird because the uber driver was there as well but i didn't say anything and then um he told me that he would call his two friends who were at the club as well and i did know that um at the time but i had met them prior because i got shown the video footage afterwards and we the three of us had been standing outside having drinks um so he called those two friends and um when they arrived, they told me that they had drugs with them. And um, at that point, I had never taken any drugs in my life, um, besides alcohol, if you want to count that. So I thought, okay, maybe he's talking about weed, because um, to me, the thought of like taking any other drug was just crazy. I didn't know that people actually did that. Um, so they handed me a paper and I know that there was a white powder on it. So I asked him, oh, what's that? Um, and at that point, I was already highly intoxicated. So I was also very confused uh, about the whole situation. Um, and they told me, just take it. Like, don't ask us what it is. Just take it, lick it. Um, I do not remember actually licking it, but I do know that um, I had cocaine in my blood system because I later did a rape kit. So I guess um, at one point I must have licked this uh, this powder of the paper. Um, and then they 
took me into the bathroom because I was bleeding. I had two really deep cuts um, on my upper thigh. I have no idea how I got them. Um, I just know that there was blood running down my leg and they asked me, oh, like, what did you do? Um, which to me is like such a weird question because it obviously must have happened while I was with them. I do remember falling off the couch and hitting like a glass table, which was next to the couch. And then I also remember um, one of them hitting me multiple times and he was wearing really big rings. So maybe that's where I got the injuries from, but I really don't know. And then um, they took me into the bathroom and they all took turns in raping me. Sometimes it was the three of them. And then later two of them left the room and they left me with, um, I always used to call him the chubby guy. He was just um, very overweight and he was very tall. So to me, I, I was scared of him. Um, so at the end, it was just me and him. But prior to that, they uh, filmed most of it. And I remember having this flashlight right in front of my face. Um, I recall two incidents where I tried to get up. The first time I lost balance and I hit the window with my face and they just pulled me back and kept going. And then another time, and that was when it was only me and the, the tall guy, um, I tried to sit up and he put his hand around my neck and started choking me so that I wouldn't move. And all he said was just put your fucking legs up. Um, yeah, and then later, the next thing which I remember is the two of them coming back into the room already fully dressed. So the tall guy stopped eventually and I asked them if I could please have my clothes back. Um, and I know that it doesn't really matter and it's it wouldn't have changed anything, but instead of just handing me my clothes, he um, threw them on the ground and waited for me to pick them up and get dressed in front of him. So after I got dressed, they called me an Uber and Again, I think I went in and out of being unconscious. So I actually did not remember what had happened um, these last two hours. So the guy who walked um, me to the Uber, I asked him like, uh, what just happened? Like, did I have sex with like one of you? And he was like, oh, like, don't worry. I did not in you, which is an Australian slang for I did not come in you inside of you. Um, and that was all he said. So I drove back to my apartment being very confused and super hyper as well. It was a really weird feeling. I was just like, I did not know what had just happened. Um, and I then got out and I saw my two friends standing in front of the granny flat. So they had arrived at the same time and I think it is very concerning that they were not worried about me. I just remember them saying, oh, like we just had like a midnight snack. Um, I think we lost you. And I think if you go out with a group of friends, you want to make sure that you know where everyone is and that they're in a safe position. So that's not what they did. Um, yeah. And then the next day I didn't tell anyone what had happened, not even my host parents, although they knew that something was going on, because obviously I had a lot of bruises, not only on my neck, but also on my arms. And then I had asked my host mom for some kind of 
like painkillers because those wounds were really hurting. Um, yeah, and then the next day is when I um, finally spoke up and told her what had happened. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I know sharing a story isn't always the easiest thing to do. So I applaud your strength in being able to one, share your story, but also your willingness to do so. Because I know when we first met that one of the reasons that you wanted to join us was to be able to share your story to try to help other victims and survivors, which is extremely admirable. Um, so again, thank you for your willingness to share that. Uh, but I do want to ask too, because you said the day after, like two days after was when you had shared what had happened with your host mother. So what was it that she did that made you one share that with her, but also feel comfortable enough sharing that story with her? Um, so I remember we were sitting in the living room and I think my host dad was on his way to pick up, um, my host kids. So it was just me and the host mom and she turned around and she looked at me and said, okay, Noah, like we both know that there's something going on. Um, you have 50 minutes until they come back. So is there anything that you would want to share with me? And I don't think that she suspected anything like that. I think she probably just thought that maybe somebody was being rude to me or that um, I was, I don't know, like having some boy issues, boy drama, whatever. Um, so the first thing which I said was, um, yeah, do you remember when we went out, I actually ended up having sex with someone, but it wasn't a really nice experience. And she said, oh, like, what happened? Do you want to talk about it? And I said, well, it was three guys and they all like took turns. They all had a turn on me. And I still remember her facial expression. It was pure shock. She was like, what, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean they all had a turn? And um, at that point, we both started crying. So she was actually the first person um, who cried. Um, and I was starting to panic a bit because in my mind, I thought that I was overreacting and that nothing bad had happened because also I had no experience to compare this to. Um, I thought that what I remember is something that would happen in a movie. So in my mind, I was like, okay, I think I was just very drunk and this didn't actually happen. So I wanted for her to hear all the details so that she would actually have a chance to respond to this properly because I was like oh no like don't cry um it's me like it, you're just overreacting right now um but um I think she could tell that something really serious had happened so once my host dad came back she sent me to my granny flat to um get some clothes and um we then drove to the hospital and he um stayed with the two kids So would you mind going into just a little bit of detail about what happened when you did go to the hospital? Like what was your experience there and, you know, what was it like to have like your host mom as your support system during those times? Yeah, sure. So 
one thing which I remember is um, on the way to the hospital, because we actually had to um, drive to two different hospitals. Um, so on the way there, I was apologizing nonstop. Like that, I just kept saying, I am so sorry. I am so incredibly sorry. I know this is my fault. And the fact that you just came back from work and now have to drive me to a hospital, there are no words to tell you like how sorry I am for this. And she at this point was crying again. And I think it's because she also went through a traumatic experience. So she probably could relate to what I was feeling at that moment. Um, and I think it shows how strong she is because she again had to like support me going through that. So it probably triggered her as well. Um, and she said, Noel, it doesn't matter if you get hit by a bus or if you get hit by a car or if you get raped, none of it is your fault. Like it doesn't matter if you would have gotten hit by a bus, I would be driving you to the hospital right now. And same thing it is not your fault right now so of course i'm driving you to the hospital um so we got there and then they sent us to another hospital where they had people who are specialized in that kind of field um i know that they offered me blankets and I think sweets and tea and again, I thought, oh, please, like, don't, I don't even deserve a blanket right now. Um, and then I spoke to a nurse first, which was, I think she might have been specialized as well. And she then took the rape kit. And that was really hard because you have to get undressed. I know that they um, took photos of the injuries. And then also they were a bit worried um, because he had choked me for so long and they just wanted for me to be really aware of my um, like symptoms so that in case um, I got nauseous or anything, I um, would know that it might come from being choked. Um, and then afterwards they wanted me to stay because they had called in a social worker. So she then spoke to me and that was the first time I had a meltdown because it was also the first time that I told someone um, all the details. And one thing which she said was, um, oh, like what kind of animals have you seen like here in Australia? Um, and I was like, I don't know, like, <laughs> I guess spiders, snakes, maybe a shark. And she was like, well, you already met the most dangerous animal. Um, and I don't know if she was trying to be funny or if she was trying to make me realize how serious this was. Um, but that's, yeah, that's one of the comments, which I remember. And then, um, afterwards they gave me contact details of another social worker who I then spoke to a couple of times, but I think afterwards they just sent me home. I will say as somebody who tries to use humor uh, in like really like heavy situations to help like lighten up the air of the room a little bit I fully understand if that person was trying to make a joke and it just bombed <laughs> I've been there a few times I'm like oh, I tried it wasn't like a it wasn't like a really bad joke it just wasn't the right opportunity or moment <laughs> but 
at that being one of the comments you remember is kind of like a point for like for me is like it hits for me because I'm like you still remember this person's attempt to try to make you more comfortable or try to like ease that conversation a bit for you because I imagine the first time you have to tell those details it's hard every time but I can imagine that first time has to be incredibly difficult it was it definitely was and I think I was crying so much that it must have been hard to understand what I was even saying. I remember they had to stop me a couple of times because they they, they just couldn't hear what I was saying because there was so much crying going on. Well, and we know that people who have experienced sexual assault tend to immediately start minimizing what happened to them. They start saying, like, it wasn't as bad as it actually was. Um, where's my fault in it? I have a blame somewhere. This is something that happened because of something I did. And so you're you're spending all those first hours, those first days in your head trying to minimize it to protect your own brain from the trauma you've experienced. And then when you finally are saying all of the details out loud to someone else who's telling you this was not your fault this is as bad as it seems that's just got to be overwhelming because you've spent the last 24 48 hours trying to tell yourself it wasn't that bad and now you've got this flood of realization that you know i i'm justified in feeling the way that i feel yeah definitely and then also i i mean i obviously saw um other people's reaction to what I had just said. And it was a mixture of shock and just sadness. And then also I um, heard the social worker um, say to my host mom that this is really bad. And um, they both walked into another room. So I guess she then um, gave my host mom like some information about trauma probably. Um, but yeah, definitely. I, I remember seeing other people cry and that also made me really unsure because I was like, oh my God, this, like, this must be bad if they're crying. So just to give our audience a bit of um, like kind of understanding when they're having that initial response to somebody disclosing a sexual assault to them, um, because one of the things that a lot of people are afraid of is having the wrong response or doing something that's going to potentially be detrimental to that person sharing their story. When those people were crying, when you shared that story with them, did that in any way for you feel like it was taking away from you sharing your story? Or did that make it so that you felt a little bit more uncomfortable sharing that story? Or was that something that was perfectly okay happening? Oh, I would say it was perfectly okay, especially because I never expected anyone to react in a specific way. And I still, whenever I share my story, um, let people know that this might be a really hard topic and that um, I do not need for them to say anything that's going to help in that moment. Um, and even more so, I think seeing other people cry made me realize that it would be okay if I needed to cry as well. It would, I think it was probably just 
those first days where I 100% thought it was my fault that I felt really guilty because they were crying. I thought, oh, you're crying, but actually nothing happened. Like it was all my fault. Now, in those moments, in those especially earlier days when you were feeling like everything was your fault, was it them saying that these things weren't your fault that helped you realize it wasn't? Or what was that moment that it kind of started to click where like, oh no, yeah, these these things weren't my fault? It was definitely people's responses to what I um, shared with them. And one major um, point was sharing this experience with uh, Daniel. I um, mentioned him earlier. He is uh, the guy who I was seeing at that time. Um, I called him when I came back from the hospital and I was so scared to call him because I thought that this was going to be the last time I was going to speak to him. I thought he was going to be so disgusted by me and so angry. Um, And then the response which I got was completely different. And I actually um, have it here because I think it is, it saved my life in a way Um, because he is the reason that I did not completely lose my trust in men. So if it's okay for you guys, I would love to read it out because I think it includes all the things that you want to say to someone who has just been through this kind of situation. We would love to hear that. Oh, yeah. I think it would be great for our audience to hear. So um, the message which he sent to me after our phone call was, I am so sorry I did not pick up the first time. Don't ever feel like this was your fault in any way. You should always feel safe. Even if you're going home with someone after a night out, remember that these guys are the ones who have done something wrong. I hope you are at least feeling a bit better. And if you want, let me know when you're awake tomorrow and we can speak again if it helps. And I just started crying because this to me showed that he really cares and that what happened was not my fault and that I was not disgusting. And that also he wasn't blaming me, even though we had been seeing each other at that point. Um, And really every response that I got was just, I I just got showered with love back then. And I know that I am very lucky that I had this amazing support system. Um, But yeah, it was definitely people's responses that made me realize that this was not my fault and then also Julie um the social worker who I spoke to she's a hero she really um made sure that I knew where to put the blame but she never rushed anything um it took a really long time for me to actually say it out loud that it wasn't my fault and then the next time um she asked me if I felt okay with um, saying out loud that it was their fault. So it was really a progress. Thank you for sharing that, Noel, because one of the things that we try to iterate all of the time on our podcast is showing su- support for people who are disclosing that they have, are a victim or a survivor or just in general in our everyday lives and not blaming victims. Your story is a prime example of how having that support system present for a survivor 
can help in that healing journey and really kind of help, especially in those early moments. Because when we have that support system there for survivors, sure, maybe they don't end up getting that rape kit like you did, but at least they know that there are people who they can trust and they can rely on. And knowing that you have those people is incredibly important on anyone's healing journey. Yeah, and I just think it's really important how when you said that uh, Daniel's response to you is what made you not lose your faith in men. You know, we hear all the time, like, oh, it's not all men, blah, blah, blah. But to know that this specific person, one, isn't blaming you, two, is supporting you, and this is someone who you were in a relationship with, just having that support from them was that important to you. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. Uh, just a quick disclaimer. I'm not sure if we were in a relationship, but we're, we're definitely going on dates. <laughs> um, but yeah, also I had only known him for a couple of weeks. And I think that also shows how much of a good person he is because he still cared and we're still in contact. Um, and I know that he's very protective when it comes to me and I can always reach out to him. Also, he is the one who um, suggested that maybe one day, um, once I felt comfortable with it, I could share my story. So yeah, he definitely plays a big part in all of this. Well, we will give him a huge shout out. Thank you, Danielle, for um, helping Noel in those early moments. And hopefully you're listening so we can just give you that thank you personally, because it is people like you who make our communities a better place because they are willing to be there to help survivors and victims and also they're there they're just to kind of help our communities be better i know there's probably a better way for me to have said all of that but uh... it's all right we need more people like daniel yes oh. so noel i remember reading in one of the um statements that you had sent us prior to us meeting with you um there is a moment where later on, like probably I don't I don't know how much later because I don't fully remember if if you had said in that statement or not, but you had seen later that you had saw one of them again. Yeah. Um. So that was a day after I had given my statement. Um. Maybe we can come back to that because yeah. um I also went through the whole um journey of reporting my crime and then yes. making a statement but yeah that specific day um I went to the beach and um Eileen who is another friend um that I made while I was in Australia she was there with me and she also is a strong person and um she really is my role model and she was there this entire time so a big thank you to her as well um but yeah we um had decided that we were going to go to the beach because prior to that I had been too scared to go to, um, sorry, too scared to go there. And um, I walked past this couple and they were holding hands. And I remember like turning my head and it just clicked. Like I just had a memory 
um, of one of the guys having this exact tattoo. And first I thought, oh, this, this cannot be him because he is here with his girlfriend. But it was him. I um, looked up a picture because um, I had a picture of the three of them from that specific night in the club. And I compared the picture to the person that was only a couple of meters um, in front of me. And it was definitely him. So I started to panic. And because I had never had a panic attack, I didn't know that that was what I was experiencing. Um, and it started with me just losing my breath. So I let Ali know and she stayed really calm, which I think is great because she also had no idea how a panic attack works. Um, so I first refused to leave because I, like they had already destroyed so much. So I thought, no, like there's no way they're gonna take the beach away from me as well. Um, but I then could barely walk um, I could barely breathe. So we decided that it probably was um, a good idea to leave. Um, and then also he turned around and he saw me and immediately grabbed his girlfriend by the hand and they took off. I don't know if she um, knows anything about this, probably not, but um, they left as soon as he saw me. So we um, walked back to the car and it took us way longer than usual because I was really slow. Um, and I remember telling Eileen, Eileen, this is really weird. Like there's definitely something going on. And I think I'm gonna like get unconscious because I cannot breathe, I cannot breathe. And I was panicking and she was like, okay, well, maybe put your arms up. And she was like <laughs> suggesting all kinds of things because again, we had no idea what was going on. But then eventually I had to sit down because I couldn't feel my um, legs and arms. And um, I started crying. And the last thing I saw was two guys sitting in a car, which was like really close to where we were sitting. So I asked Eileen, knock on that window and ask them to come here and stay with us and she was so confused she was like you sure you wanted like you sure you want me to go there i was like yes yes and um the reason i asked her to do that was because i was so incredibly scared that he was going to come back and that eileen wasn't going to be able to protect the two of us um so i wanted for someone else to be there and these guys were the only people that i saw at that moment um, so she went to that car, she asked them to please stay with us and they did. And later, um, their girlfriends came back and then, um, one of the girlfriends and one of the guys, um, they were both holding my hands and she actually started praying, which I only know because Eileen later let me know. Um, at that time, I, all I heard was mumbling, um, and I, I didn't know what she was saying, but um, yeah, she was actually praying for me. Just want our audience to know there's always more than one way that you can help victims and survivors and your friend in that moment being there and being able to help you through that panic attack and those two random strangers who were willing to sit with you while you went through that panic attack. Those are all different ways that we can help. You don't have to know the person's a survivor or a victim to be a good person and just be willing to help somebody else. Exactly. This this is something that resonates through your whole story. 
because so many different people in your story knew that something was wrong, even if they didn't know exactly what it was, but they could tell just from you that there was something going on that you needed someone to kind of push you into either talking about it or breathing through it or, you know, just sitting down and your your friend who was like, try raising your hands above your head. Like, we don't have to know how to help someone specifically. Like, we don't need to know all the right things. But the fact that you're sitting there, you're willing to try and you're you're not going to abandon is what's most important. Yeah, that is so true. I um, actually asked Eileen if there was anything that she would want me to share today. And she mentioned this one evening. And I, I, when she told me, I was like, you sure that's the thing you want me to share? And she's like, yes, because <laughs> that evening um, I had another huge meltdown and um, we were sitting at the beach and she hugged me for at least 20 minutes, right? Maybe 30 minutes. I can't remember. And um when I spoke to her a couple of days ago, she told me that she used to hate physical touch. So it took a lot of strength for her to do this and to um, hug me for 30 minutes. And I was like, Eileen, but like, why didn't you say anything? You know, I didn't like expect you to hug me. And she's like, yes, I know. But to me, this also was very special because I never had this kind of bond with a friend. And I actually um, enjoy hugging my friends now and it also was a turning point for me and then also I felt that you needed this hug in that moment and I wanted to be there for you so Eileen here you go (laughs) that's your story (laughs) shout out to Eileen as well thank you Eileen (laughs) (laughs) yes it's it's always interesting to me the moments when people will change some of their behaviors or become okay with doing something that they've previously just been like nope never gonna happen don't want to do it so it's it's always interesting just to hear when that happens and i'm really glad that eileen was able to do that for you and even if even if that wasn't the thing that was like perfectly helpful to you at that moment it's like at least it was something that she wanted to do for you even though she knew that i was like I don't really like doing this, but I'll do it because I think this is what they need. So I know we have jumped around a little bit now, um, but Noel, did you want to talk about it all, what it was like going through that reporting process? Uh, Yes. And again, um, I don't think I can um, go into detail because a lot happened. But before I start, I just want to say that... um, the response which I got from the police, I don't think that this is what it's usually like. I think I just got very unlucky. So if anyone is um, listening right now and they're not sure if they should report it or not, please don't think that this is what you need to expect because um, reporting a crime, I think is an amazing way to get help. Um, It's just that I was unlucky and had a, police officer who wasn't willing to help me. Um, So yeah, I first reported the incident and then a month later I gave an official statement and there is a difference. So when I reported the incident, um, my host mom was allowed to be in the room as well. 
And then later, while I gave the official statement, um, no one else was allowed to be present. So the first time I um, told the officer what had happened, um, he responded in a way that was very inappropriate, I would say. And my host mom actually let him know that even though it might not be his intention, some of his comments were definitely blaming me. Um, to which he then responded that um, if it was her son who had these accusations made against him, she would want for him to make sure that I wasn't lying. Um, that's one of the comments which I received at the very beginning of this whole process. That's so infuriating. If the purpose of this interview is to try to get like information out of somebody by you saying, accusing this person of like, well, they could be lying. I just got to make sure like, I no longer want to tell you anything because it really sounds like you're coming into this already assuming that I'm lying. So after that, so what those comments that he made, were those in the, sorry, were those in the initial report? Right. So that comment he made um, during the initial report and then while I gave him my statement, he um, made a lot more comments, but they were all kind of similar. And it was really hard for me because it was just me and him. So I had no one else to um, stand up for me. And I obviously was way too scared. And then also I was hoping that he was going to help me because he really was my last hope. Um, so another thing which he said, um, was that oh okay so I gave him my entire statement and I told him everything that I remembered and he put down um the pen he looked at me and he was like okay but just to be sure like why do you think this was a sexual assault I was cut off guard I was like I don't know um I was so confused and then obviously um, I thought, oh my God, he knows that I'm just overreacting. Like he just made it so clear. Um, yeah, and then the worst comment which he um, said, and that comment did a lot of damage to me. Um, he told me that he was gonna try and speak to the nice one first. And the reason he said that is because um, from the beginning, my wish was for them to be spoken to and to realize that um, they had done something that was really hurtful. I did not necessarily want them to get in trouble, um, but not even that conversation was achieved in the end. So um, back to the comment, he said, I'm going to try and speak to the nice one first. And again, I had no idea who he was referring to. I was so confused. So I asked him like, oh, like, who do you mean? Because I thought that maybe there was another person involved who I had forgotten about. Um, and he said, oh, like, didn't you tell me that one of them asked the other to to leave the room and stop filming? And all I said was, oh, yeah, right. Because I did tell him that at one point, um, the tall guy wanted for the other two to leave so that he could basically do whatever he wanted without them knowing. And 
that was the same guy who had choked me so that I couldn't get up and who had told me to just put my fucking legs up. And um, like he referred to him as a nice person. And then obviously I thought this person is a nice person and I am the worst person ever because I am sitting here and blaming him even though he did more than I ever did to protect myself because I never asked someone to leave the room. Um, and it was only when I told Julie about this comment that I knew it wasn't okay because she got furious and she actually got together with um, her boss and they wrote a letter of complaint. Um, sadly, the police never responded to that. They um, talked to Julie and her boss, but I was promised to receive a phone call, which I never did. So um, yeah, I think that's probably the worst comment which I've received. Besides comments like, oh, but you do agree that you don't look drunk, right? Or, um, oh, but imagine if I would get the video footage and um, I think it's just gonna look like a normal porn because what if you are not unconscious or if you're not saying no, um, imagine that. So I think the comments were all really similar and they were all putting the blame on my side. I'm very sorry if, as you were saying those things, if you just saw me visibly getting angrier and angrier. I don't even know what to fucking say. Like, I'm just, I'm fucking mad that that was the response that somebody who was supposed to protect people in their community had. And that's an absolute failure of law, on law enforcement's part. 100%. Like, I... like to have that thread be, at the start, you blaming yourself for what you've experienced to then go and talk to the one person who is supposed to legally be able to help you and put that blame on you. Like, I can't imagine how that would feel. Even it, even having a support system outside of that, like this person who is supposed to, who understands the fucking law has now used their platform their position of power to blame somebody for something that they've experienced like there's no better way to shut somebody down to not have them go through with ever reporting a crime than having the person they're supposed to be able to report to say mm, are you yeah. sure so we never want victims to feel like their experience is minimized we never want to refer to somebody who has been a perpetrator as the nice one like that's yeah. i don't even know what to say to that like oh he was the nice one because he asked other people to leave the room and for this officer to go back and say that well it just lo would look like a regular porn because you weren't unconscious or you weren't saying no like that's like something that has to happen for this to not be consensual. We know that you do not have to be physically saying no the whole time for this to not be consensual. It's very obviously not consensual. And for this police officer to make these statements and make these assumptions, like that's, I mean, there's a lack in training that this officer either didn't receive or just 
didn't absorb. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. It's really sad because um, they actually called him in that first day when I arrived at the police station because he is supposed to have extra training. And I remember the first thing he said to me was, oh, don't worry, I'm going to help you because I also have daughters. So I know all about periods and like boys drama. And even though that obviously had nothing to do with like boys drama, um, I thought, okay, he just promised me to be helpful. So even though he had made all of those comments, I was still hoping that he was actually going to help me. And I think that's why it took a while for me to um, tell Julie about those comments because I thought yeah. if I was going to blame him as well, there was going to be no one besides like obviously my um, family and friends who was going to help me. I mean, thank you one for being able to better concisely say what I wanted to say because I was not going to get there while being angry. <laughs> <laughs> but also just like i get attempting to relate to the person who is going to be coming in and giving you these statements but like that was not the way to do it man <sighs> like oh i have daughters i know all about periods like you can be you can tell me anything you need to tell me i was like clearly no clearly you can't but yes i also i want to reiterate what Amanda said and like thank you for sharing that and I'm so sorry that that was the experience that you had and this is why it's so important for victims to have victim advocates with them through this whole process because you cannot expect someone who's just gone through this trauma who's already questioning everything that they've gone through to be able to stand up to that it's just not something that's within your wheelhouse at that time you your your focus is on all of these traumatic events that happened to you and now we're going to re-traumatize this victim by saying all of these misguided and hurtful things had you been allowed to have a victim advocate in the room with you they would have stopped that conversation dead on and said inappropriate get me a different officer yeah, I mean, even my host mom did that um, the first day I was there. Um, but yeah, I had um, no no one else with me um, while I was giving him my statement. And then the last conversation I ever had with him was um, him telling me that he ended up driving to that um, apartment and speaking to the tall guy. And he shared everything that I remembered. So he told them that I remember being drugged, being filmed, being raped. And he then asked um, the guy if it was consensual, to which he responded, yes. And he left. And the other two guys, he um, only called. And same thing, he asked them if it was consensual. They said yes. So um, he let me know that there wasn't enough evidence and that my case was basically closed and that a lot of the things which I had said were um weren't making sense because um also I don't remember everything so it's a bit weird what I'm saying that's his last um yeah 
our last conversation. So to our listeners, to Noelle, um, quick rundown here of something called trauma brain. And it's when your body has, your body, your mind have experienced this trauma, um, your mind tries to protect you by blocking parts of it out. You add into that the fact that there were drugs and alcohol in your system and those memories can become spotty. They can come back over time. And it's what your brain will allow you to process in the moment. And this is one of the main reasons that people who are victims of rape, victims of trauma, get this, well, we just don't believe you because there's holes in those stories. And those holes they take as, well, it must be a lie. Because if you were just telling the truth, you would just remember it and you wouldn't, your story wouldn't change because it would just be the truth. But trauma brain is what is scientifically proven to happen. And that's the reason that there are holes in those stories. And that's the reason why there are, you know, parts that come back, maybe not in the same timeline or whatever the case is. And it 100% does not mean that a victim is lying or not telling the truth or not telling the whole truth. It's what our neurological system is doing to try and protect ourselves. I wasn't as short as I wanted it to be, but. Also, what the hell was he expecting to happen? Did he expect to go and talk to these guys and be like, oh, yes, officer, we absolutely sexually assaulted this woman. Exactly. Like, I mean, maybe it's like one of the check marks they have to make on their box that says, did you ask the the assailant if this was consensual or not? I don't know. But to come back and to tell you like, oh, by the way, they said it was consensual. Oh, okay, great. I would also point out here um, for our listeners, if you ever hear of a sexual assault that has been like put on the news or something like that and they said that the case was unfounded, it means that they just didn't have enough physical evidence to proceed or go through with a trial. That person is not lying about it. There was just not, quote unquote, not enough evidence to go through with it. If you ever hear a case is unfounded, do not think that that person is lying about it because it was unfounded. When something happens behind closed doors and... Or, you know, in, in a group like this, this happened. Um, it's a lot of hearsay as to, well, she says it was not consensual. He says it was consensual. And it's one of the things that happens in sexual assault and domestic violence is that the only people who know for sure what happened in that room were the people in that room. And, you know, if we could all be a fly on the wall and know everything that took place, then we would be able to, you know, for sure make these, you know, legal judgments or whatever in a, in a more, from a more knowledgeable standpoint. But we don't. And so that's why 
if you can't have this hard evidence proof of I'm definitely going to win this case if I take it to trial, sometimes law enforcement will have to just drop those things. And it's not right. And it doesn't take away from, you know, your experience because you're the one who still has to deal with all of this stuff now. You're the one who still has to deal with all of the repercussions that come afterward, the the physical injuries you suffered, the um, potential of having problems from the strangulation, the panic attacks, the emotional trauma, that's still all on you. And you've got no one to be able to say, all right, someone had to pay a price for it. And then that can be re-traumatizing as well. Sorry, Noel, for us putting on our educator hats. For I'm a sorry. There. Uh, <laughs> I think that was great. That was really great. So, Noel, we have taken up quite a bit of your time today. Um, but before we finish up here, I wanted to make sure I asked, is there anything else of your story that you want to share with our audience? Or do you have a message for anybody listening? Um, this is hard because, again, there were so many amazing people involved. So I also want to thank Becky. Um, she's a friend who I had um, gone to Thailand with. And she sometimes had to wait for me. And I was having meltdowns, a lot of them. <laughs> so we couldn't go and have a nice dinner because I was crying in the bathtub. She um, never told me to hurry up. She always made sure that um, I was feeling okay and that whatever I was experiencing was right. So thank you, Becky. You're one of the sweetest people I know. Um, and then, yeah, there was an amazing woman in New Zealand who also had a, a very special way of helping me. And I think um, thanks to her, I realized that the help you receive might not always be what you expected. Um, yeah, and then there is something that I would like to share, but I think I might get a bit emotional. And I actually wrote it down because I just want to make sure that I can reach someone. And this entire time I was, see, now I'm starting to cry. Um, this entire time I was holding on to the thought that maybe one day I was going to be able to share my story and actually be helpful to someone. So, um, to everyone who's listening right now, I just want you to know that no matter what you went through and no matter how you're feeling right now, um, you are loved and you deserve support and you also deserve to be heard. And I promise you that with time, life is going to get easier again and you will regain happiness and control and power over your life because you are more than what somebody did to you. Um, and I know that there's a point where you feel like it's never going to get better and you forever will be stuck in this circle of emotions and basically just pure darkness. But that really isn't the case. And you will get through this. And I really need you to hold on to that because that's what helped me the most. Um, yeah, and I just know that I just want to um, tell you that you're strong and that um, I believe you and yeah, you're going to heal from it. That was so beautifully said. And now you got me over here getting teary eyed as well. 
Um, Noelle, you're just, you're a shining star and I hope that you never lose that because you are a wonderful person and I think that you sharing your story is going to help someone out there maybe through their healing journey, maybe help them report, maybe just help them know that there are other people who didn't let this completely break them that they were able to come back and and live a life where they wanted to help other people again and we just we really appreciate you thank you um and just also a quick thank you to my host parents I know that I've mentioned them a couple of times now but I have nothing but love for them and they handled this whole situation like champions. I don't know how they did it, but um, <laughs> I'm just so incredibly thankful and they're my family. Um, and then also a big thank you to you guys, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be able to share my story right now. And the kind of work that you do is just amazing. So thank you. Well, thank you for that. And we are incredibly happy that you reached out to us to share your story. Because I've got to say, Noel, as somebody who likes to think of myself as like a pretty like strong person, I have nothing but admiration for your strength. Is I uh, I hope to be like you one day when I grow up. You're gonna make uh, me cry again. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm over, I've been over here fighting back tears for like a good majority of this. Okay, so if I make you cry, like. Welcome to the club because you made me. <laughs> but no, I just, I want to make sure that you know how grateful we are for you to come and join us on our podcast and have that willingness to share your story because I know that there's going to be somebody who's listening to this, that your story resonate, resonates with them and seeing and hearing the strength that you have through all of this, I am sure we'll be able to give them strength too. Thank you. That really means a lot to me. Yeah, and I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> so then, Noel, quickly wrapping up here, do you have any socials or anything that you want to push out to our audience? So I don't have Instagram, but um, if you feel like you want to share your story, you could definitely email me. I just want to say that even though I would love to help you and um, listen to what you've gone through, I do think that it might be more helpful to speak to a friend or someone who's really close or a professional. Um, but yeah, definitely. If you would like to share your story with me, I um, definitely here. Awesome. Um, so if you do want to get in contact then with Noel, please feel free to email us and we will make sure we can connect you too. Um, but thank you, Noel, for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you again. I can't say enough how thankful I am for having you on our show because I think this is definitely going down as like easily one of our top three episodes. Um, so thank you again for joining us and thank you all for listening today. Uh, please feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Touchy Subs Pod. Email us any questions, comments, or concerns to touchysubjectspodcast at gmail.com. And please rate us on your favorite podcast listening app. It really does help the show out.
And in the meantime, don't be afraid to challenge, ask, and discuss when it comes to touchy subjects.